Well, we're in a series about discovering joy, understanding God's grace, kind of an inexhaustible topic, but today's specific topic is liberating grace. Now, we're going to start with a quiz. You don't have to answer out loud, just answer in your head and uh, see how, how we all come out. So, here's the quiz. Oh, we stuck back there, guys? Mm-hmm. There we go. All right. Do you ever feel guilty when you relax, knowing you've got a lot to do? How about this? Do you often feel dissatisfied with yourself or your situation? Or do you find yourself using phrases like, I have to, or I should be able to? How about these two? Do you feel, ever feel frustrated or angry at God? feeling that his expectations are you, of you are unreasonable? Or does your relationship to God seem like a burden rather than a blessing? Probably, I'm guessing, all of us are going to answer yes to some of those questions. If so, we have a misunderstanding of God's grace. Now, I'm going to talk to you about two, I'm going to call them enemies of grace, to get us in this wrong thinking. Uh, the first enemy is perfectionism. Perfectionism. Um, this is, we got a definition, yeah. We got a definition. Trying to prove my worth by trying to be perfect. Notice, trying and trying because it isn't successful. Perfectionism is a counterfeit of true spiritual growth and spiritual uh, maturity. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, we're, we're, we're so delighted you're, that you're here or you're watching. Uh, but once you become a Jesus follower, the way we become a Jesus follower is to believe, we'll read this verse a little later, believe, accept God's gift of salvation in Jesus, ask for forgiveness for our sins, accept His, his gift of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life, and we enter into an uh, eternal relationship with God Almighty. That's how it starts. Now, it's fantastic, and if you can remember when that happened, it's just like your whole world changed. A, a weight was lifted. Uh, uh, the guilt and the shame uh, was gone. But as time goes on, what tends to happen is, that just seems too good to be true. <laughs> I need to help God out a little bit. I'm sure he's got all these expectations of me that I, I need to be doing. And so we fall into this, I'm going to call it a trap or this pr actual prison of perfectionism. I got to keep trying to prove myself to God being better and better, more perfect and more perfect. But ultimately, it's a fruitless effort as we're going to see. The other enemy I'm calling it of, of grace is legalism. Legalism. And... Uh, there's a lot of legalism in a lot of churches. And it's easy to understand. But it's trying to earn God's approval through rules. Now, this book is a wonderful book. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And there's lots of do's and don'ts in there, right? And that's one reason people, some people have objections with Christianity. But Christianity isn't, at its base, fundamentally about keeping rules. Because none of us keep all the rules. Never have, never will. Uh, but it's an attempt to earn God's smile on us, if you will. 
But that's silly. We didn't earn it at salvation, and you can't earn it now. The other negative side of legalism is this. We tend to become judgmental. We have our preferred rules. Usually the rules that I can keep for whatever reason. And then there's these other rules that I don't. And, and if you don't keep the rules I keep, I begin to feel better than you because, hey, I'm keeping these rules even though there may be some other rules I'm not keeping. So another really negative of legalism is it tends to make us judgmental of other people. So there's a whole book in the Bible, letter, called Galatians that addresses these enemies. I'm just going to read you one verse in Galatians. <clears throat> Paul's writing this and he says, how foolish can you be? What's he talking about? What are they doing this foolish? Now this, he's writing to Jesus followers, believers. After starting your new life in the Spirit, we just talked about that, accepting that gift, inviting the Holy Spirit into your life, why are you now, here's the foolish thing, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You didn't become, get into, into uh, God's family through human effort and you can't make progress in your, in your relationship with God through human effort. It's foolish. Now before we talk about how to counteract perfectionism, let me talk about some of the drawbacks of perfectionism. And let me just say, all of us have a, to some degree, this in our lives. Legalism and perfectionism. So, how, how is perfectionism harmful? Let me give you three things that's really harmful. One, it causes me to procrastinate. Now, we've all been there, done this, I'm sure. One day I'm going to clean out the garage. <laughs> You know, one day I'm going to, I don't never wash my car. One day I'm going to wash my car. <laughs> Most people wash their car. Um, I live on a dirt road and it just gets dirty right away. That's one reason I don't wash it. But anyway, uh, one day I'm going to go back to school. Or one day I'm going to uh, retire, I guess. Uh, one day I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. Have this quiet time. One day I'm going to start an exercise program. One day I'm going to... Get on uh, this diet, or one day I'm... The list is endless, right? Now, the question is, wh why don't you... That one day never comes. Why doesn't it come? The biggest reason is this. You and I are waiting for perfect conditions. Oh, it's too hot today to clean out the garage. Oh, it's too hot, cold today to clean out the garage. Uh... uh we're waiting for perfect conditions. In fact, uh, writer Ecclesiastes, Solomon, uh, uses uh, uh, agricultural illustrations. So some of you that have gardens may understand this. Uh, he, anyone who watches the wind, well, that's fine. But why? why? Waiting for all conditions to be perfect. Now, how did they sow seeds back then? They threw them up and the wind spread them, right? So, Oh, it's, no, it's no wind today. I can't spread the seeds. There's no wind today. Oh, it's too windy today. It's going to blow all the seeds away. And so watching the wind, waiting for the perfect wind to plant your crops, you're never going to do it. Now, so assume you've got your crops planted. Then he says, well, not sow seeds. Excuse me. You won't, you won't plant. And he who looks at the clouds will not reap a harvest. You don't want to bring in your harvest while it's raining, right? Well, it sure looks like rain today. I guess I can't <laughs> harvest my crop. So, 
perfectionism paralyzes us because we won't get started because, let's be honest, circumstances are never perfect, are they? So, uh, that's one big negative of perfectionism. Another one is this. It destroys my happiness. It destroys my happiness. Um, if you've got to be perfect to be happy, then it's going to destroy your happiness, right? Here's an interesting verse uh, that you don't expect to find in the Bible. It's also in Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read it without the parentheses because that's the explanation of what it truly means. But the literal text says this, do not be excessively righteous. How can you be excessively righteous? It's good to be righteous and do not be overly wise. Well, it's good to be wise, right? It's always better to be wise, more wise now than I used to be. So let me read it with the parentheses. Do not be excessively righteous like those given to self-conceit. So what is this? To, to excess and a negative side. I'm more righteous than you. Look at me. Maybe you are more righteous, but it, how, what's your attitude? And do not be overly wise, pretentious. You ever, <laughs> you ever know somebody who knew, thought they knew everything? Not much fun to be around, are they? So why should you bring yourself to ruin? If that's your goal, you're going to be miserable. Now we all have what I call an ideal self. And it's what you put on your resume if you apply for a job, right? Your ideal self, <clears throat> all the good stuff about you. And so we had this ideal. I have an ideal, you know, husband, ideal father, ideal preacher, pastor. Uh, you know, I have all these ideals in our head. Now, of course, I don't meet those ideals. And so I had this self-talk saying, uh, you, you, you should be a better husband. You shouldn't have done that or you should have done that. You should be a better pastor. You should do this or not do that. You should, you know. And consequently, you never can be happy. Another problem with perfectionism is it really is tough on relationships. It damages our relationships. Um, perfectionists tend to be naggers. You have a nagger in your family? <laughs> the kids already went out here. We'd all say our parents were, right? They nag us about this and nag us about that. <clears throat> um, one thing about naggers is this. They usually don't like themselves and so consequently they don't want you to like you. So if you're happy with you, somebody else isn't going to be happy with you if they're a nagger, if they're a perfectionist. Because you're not perfect, so they're going to find something that you shouldn't be happy with yourself because, you know, you got this flaw or, or that flaw. And they tend to become very demanding people. They have a standard and you, none of us reach it and so... You know, they're going to keep pushing and pushing and trying to get you to their whatever standard they have. And of course, the worst nag of me is me. Because I get to thinking, oh, I'm falling short here, I'm falling short there. So Proverbs says this, For those who forgive faults foster love. So if I'm not nagging, if I'm not demanding, but I'm forgiving, it fosters love. It... Uh, promotes uh, growth in our relationship. But those who repeatedly call them ruin relationships. One thing my wife and I learned a long time ago is it's to leave the past in the past. And so if we 
arguing, I don't know if that's the right word, discussing something, disagreeing about something, it's easy to be married a long time. It's easy to say, well, you know, you did this back then, or you used to be this way, or you don't ever use the always and never words. You never do this, or you always do this, which isn't true, but that's what we tend to try and strengthen our arguments. So, those who repeatedly recall them ruin relationships. <clears throat> now, good news is this. Perfectionism is something you learn. You learn it from your parents. You learn it someplace. So consequently, if it's learned, it can be what? Unlearned. Good. You guys are sharp. Got the same answer in the first service. So you can unlearn it. If you're in this prison of perfectionism, you can, there's, you can change. Now, as a perfectionist, the problem, one of the problems is you see God as this uh, big critic in the sky. Because God's expecting me to be perfect, and I'm not perfect, so every time I'm not perfect, God is, you know, criticizing me and, and, and telling me to, sh to, to shape up. Um, and again, all of us suffer in some degree from uh, perfectionism. So the question is, is there an answer? Is there a cure? Is there an antidote? So let me share with you five things I think that can help. If, that, if you answered any of those questions at the beginning, which I think we probably all did <clears throat> in the positive. So we call it relaxing. Because uh, perfectionists can never relax because nothing's perfect, right? So that's where we start. Realizing no one or nothing is perfect. I shouldn't say nothing. The scripture verse we're going to read is going to tell us something that is perfect. Isn't that nice to know? Besides God. Um, let's bring that verse up. Nothing is perfect except what? God's word. Well, if God's perfect, then his word's got to be perfect. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? So, our desire, our goal of striving to be perfect, honestly, is just a waste of time, right? Trying to do something that you can't do because nothing is perfect. So, it's a waste of time. <laughs> we have a physics professor in the first service, and I asked him, what is 94 an A in his class? He said, no, a 95. So, I'm going to use 95. So, 95 is an A, Right? 96 an A, 97 an A, 98 an A. So, you know, you can get an A without being perfect. And I think that's kind of the way we need to look at life. Now, most of you probably won't, won't be familiar with this, but some of us in the first service were. Back in the 80s, there was this what I call pop psychology book. There's a lot of pop psychology books always out. And it was called, I'm okay, you're okay. Now, that sounds pretty good on the surface, doesn't it? But in the reality, are you okay? Are you perfect? You're not perfect. Am I okay? I'm way less than perfect. So in reality, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. So what do we do about that? Well, God says, <laughs> you're not okay, but it's okay that you're not okay because of my grace. No other reason, just because of my grace. So you, we can say, I'm okay. Another verse of scripture, also in Ecclesiastes. You're going to say, uh, duh. <laughs> There's no one on earth who does what is right all the time. Yeah, obvious, right? 
and never makes a mistake. Now, we can't use this as an excuse to be a jerk and, and never try and do what's right and, and, and never work on our lives. But that's the reality. That's true. And what it's really saying is this. I, God, am not waiting for you to be perfect to love you. See, that's what grace is about. I love you despite you. <laughs> you're okay even though you're not okay. We can have a relationship. Another thing that may help, hopefully would help, is this. Enjoy God's unconditional love. Now, it's hard to do because we, unconditional love is just kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around because we can't experience it in any human relationship. So it's hard for us to enjoy it because it's hard for us to understand it or comprehend it. So I'm going to use an illustration from Scripture. It's in 1 John, I believe. Um, where when we become a, a Jesus follower, we enter into God's family. We become his child. Let's bring that verse up. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children. And that is what we are. So what's the difference between being in the family and outside the family? I'm going to use a, a little bit different illustration. Uh, what's the difference be, from being an employee or if I hire somebody and one of my children? So a servant or an employee or someone has been hired is accepted and appreciated on the basis of what he does. So if I hire you to do a task at my, at my house, if you do a good job, if I need that done again, who am I going to call? I'm going to call you because, um, next slide please, you have been accepted and appreciated because of what you did. You did a good job. On the other hand, if you didn't do a good job, am I going to call you again? No. I'm not going to accept you and appreciate it. So, and now we're all servants of God too, but we're so much more than servants. But a servant is accepted on that basis. A child, on the other hand, is not. Now, as your dad, if I ask you to do a job and you don't do it well, I don't cast you out of the family, what do I do? Go back and do it better next time or do it better this time. Go back and do it again. So if you're an employee or a worker or a servant, how do you start each day? You think, you're worried about, am I going to be accepted and appreciated today? I got to do a good job to be appreciated. If I don't, I'm not going to be. So everything's fine as long as I do well. But what happens when I fail? Because we all fail. Then I'm not going to be accepted or appreciated. But parents, when, when, when your kids don't do a good job, you get rid of them? <laughs> Thanks for no thing? No, we don't do that, do we? Let me try and illustrate it a couple other ways. Um, when your child was, a, was small, three or four years old, and they came to you with a drawing. Maybe it's a drawing of the family. And it was kind of like a stick drawing. Now, what did you say to them? That's ugly. That's horrible. Now, what did you say to them? Oh, that's beautiful. You did a great job. That's maybe even perfect, right? You might even use that word. Well, what are you saying to them? Well, your stage in, in uh, your age, your stage in life in, a, in our relationship one with another, it's perfect. Or how about when they started walking? Take a step, fall down. Take another step, fall down. 
Did you say, ah, oh, what's the matter with you? Everybody else knows how to walk. Why don't you know how to walk? You, you don't do that, do you? You're all excited. In fact, that first step's a perfect step, right? Because you're accepted and appreciated based on who they are. They're your child. Consequently, you and I need to love every stage of life, every, every stage of our li- kid's life. It always bugs me when somebody says, oh no, my kids are in their terrible twos, or oh no, my kid's going to be a teenager. <laughs> now enjoy every stage of life. So God enjoys every stage of our lives. We start out as newborn babes, born into God's, and then we grow. And God enjoys us. Why? Because we're in his family. Are we going to fail? Yes. But he still accepts us and appreciates us because we're his child. Uh, Wonderful verse, Romans chapter 8. If God, and God is for us, or since God is for us, who can be against us? That's normal translation would say. The Amplified clarifies what's that mean? Because are there people against us? Sure. If you're a Jesus follower, there's people against you. Even if you're not, people are against you. But if God is for us, who can be successful against us? Because God's all-powerful, right? So I, I saw in this verse a perfect definition of grace. Here it is. Grace is what? God is for us. That kind of says it all, right? God's not against you. He's kind of not trying to get even with you. God's not angry with you. <laughs> God is for us. Sometimes my wife and I kind of get in a squabble and she'll stop me with this, this phrase. We're on the same team. And it automatically just kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. We're on the same team. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I kind of tended to forget this for a few minutes. We're on the same team. You and God are on the same team. You, on a team, you don't pick and fight with each other. You pull together and encourage one another so that your team can s- succeed. A couple other things. Help us if you're struggling with uh, uh, some of these uh, issues of perfectionism. Let God handle things. The root of perfectionism is the desire to control. If I can just be the perfect person, everybody will like me. Uh, If I can make my spouse a perfect person, we'll have the perfect marriage. Um... If I can, you know, control my kids, we'd have the perfect family. Uh, Of course, how much of life do you and I control? It's kind of depressing to think about, really. You certainly can't control other people, right? Can't control spouses, parents, children, none of that. Can't control your boss. Uh, You can't control your teacher. You can't control people, so that's a big thing. You can't control the weather. You can't control the stock market. You can't control the government. You can't control much of anything except for you, right? Well, on the other hand, what can God control? He can control, he does. He controls everything. So who would do a better job of controlling whatever you want controlled, you or him? It's obvious. So, let God handle things. One way we do that Uh, Peter Peter wrote this. One way we do that is because we all tend to have worry, don't we? So what does he say to us? Cast all your cares, all your anxieties, 
all your worries, all your concerns, kind of get the point? <laughs> Once and for all, on him. Why? Because he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over very carefully. Now, I'm going to flip this verse over. Got to thinking about this. God cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. So consequently, that being true, what should I do? Cast all my cares on it. All my anxieties, there we go. All your worries and all your concern. Let me try and illustrate this. How many of you are fishermen? I'm not. Come on, raise hands. Okay. So, I had to be taught how to do this this morning. <laughs> this is kind of crazy, right? All right. Casting is something you do in fishing. All right. So, as long as I got the, the rod like this, I, I, I can't cast, right? I'm controlling it. I'm holding on to it. But if I release it, no, nope, didn't do it right in the first series either. Anyway, let's see. What do you show me to do? Do that, and then do that. There we go. All right. That example. I should have fixed something I know how to do. Now, what did the verse say? Once and for all. So once I gave them to God, I never worry again the rest of my life, right? What do you and I do? We reel them back in, don't we? Ah, Okay, God, it's about time for me to start worrying about those things again. No, no, he says, cast them once and for all. So when you and I start to worry, remember the, maybe you'll remember it better since I did it so poorly. <laughs> remember the pastor couldn't cast it, but you can cast it. All right. So basically, let go. That's what it's saying. Let go. See, the, the misnomer is, if things were perfect, I could be happy. I would have joy if my spouse was perfect or my kids were perfect. Never going to happen. And you can have joy in an imperfect world because that's what you, you and I have. <clears throat> Paul, one of our issues we have with this is, is, is contentment. We're not contented with living in an imperfect world. So Paul, Paul wrote this, he said, I've learned, first he said, I'm, not, I'm never in need. Well, how could you never be in need? Because he learned something. He said, I, how to be content with whatever I have. So I have a lot or have a little, I'm content. So I don't have a need. Jesus, God promises to supply all our needs. So we all should never have a need. And this is something you can learn. So if you're not contented, this is something you can learn, right? But we live in a culture and a society where a lot of people get paid a lot of money to do what? Make you and I discontented. That's the whole advertising industry. And if you're in advertising, I'm not, you know, that's your job, that's fine. Do a good job. But personally, I need to learn to be content. I can be perfectly content with something that I don't even know that something else exists and I discovered that, hey, there's this gizmo that does this. I never knew that. I can't be content until I have one of those. Or very common technique is new and improved. More bells and whistles, right? 
Well, I'm not happy. You know, my phone's about six phones back. <laughs> I try and stay pretty happy with my cell phone. But some people, the new one's got so many bells and whistles, or maybe it's the second one up, or, you know, I, I got to have it. And that's how they keep selling all those things, right? Uh, my phone works perfectly fine. My wife just said, when are we going to, I said, <laughs> my phone is fine. I'm contented with it. Not that you can't buy new things and improve things. Just be contented. Uh, two other things will be finished. How to relax in God's grace. Act in faith, not fear. That's how you got into Christianity. That's how you became a Jesus follower, and that's the way you can become one if you're not. We'll go back and read that verse we read week one. God saved you by his grace when you believe. That means he in, you entered his family. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. So, by grace through faith, I believed and I entered into God's family, born again. So how do I continue this following of Jesus? Well, let me read you another verse Paul wrote. And now, just as you accept Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So how do we follow Jesus? How do you and I live the Christian life? It's by grace through faith. Is it... Trying harder and working harder. And I'm not saying you don't have your part and you don't do effort. You don't just do nothing. But that's not the way you and I grow spiritually, become more mature. See, ultimately, all of life is God's grace. The fact that I'm still breathing, the fact that you're still breathing is God's grace, right? We could go just any, any, any time. The fact that you, you know, your relationship you have would be a result of God's grace. The fact that I can see and hear, even though they're deteriorating, right? Um, I can walk. I can run. Some people can't run, especially my age. I can run. So ultimately, everything's by God's grace. And I always get the pushback, well, I earn my paycheck. Well, who gave you your life? Who gave you that ability? Who actually gave you the job? Uh, everything is a result of God's grace. And when we be uh, in perfectionism, we are imprison ourselves. So, what he's saying here is let yourself out. You have clemency. You get out of, get out of jail free card. Not because you deserve it, but because Jesus paid for it. He paid the ransom. He paid your pardon. Let yourself free. Let yourself out. Which leads us to the last point. Exchange your perfectionism with God's grace. See, perfectionism, again, just destroys joy. Because, again, nothing's perfect. So you can't, if you can't have joy until things are perfect, you, you'll never have joy. <clears throat> One of my favorite passages of Scripture from the message paraphrase is what I'm going to read to you next. Because it's just so eloquently describes this issue for so many Christians. Are you tired, worn out, burn out on a religion? He's just tired of it. He says, okay, that's your situation. And if you're a perfectionist, that's where you are. <laughs> Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. We're talking about discovering or rediscovering joy. You'll You'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. See, a perfectionist can never rest, right? A real rest. What's he say to do? Here's our part. Here's our cooperation part. Walk with me and work with me, all right? We have our part to do. Watch how I do it. You ever learn something by watching somebody? I learned how to be a carpenter. The little skill I do have, I learned. I learned laying hardwood floors, watching my dad. And then when I became a carpenter, I got a job as a carpenter after seminary. I didn't have a church job. Uh, elderly gentleman, retired carpenter, would come on the job site in the morning and show us what to do. Mel and I, if it's something he didn't know, but certainly it's something I didn't know, he'd show me how to do it. And I'm kind of a quick study. If somebody shows me how to do something, I can do it. Well, God says, okay, Christian life, how do you learn it? Watch how I do it. And then I love this phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Your life and my life should have some unforced rhythms of grace. And then notice this part. I don't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So if you've got something heavy or ill-fitting, can't say that word, it's not God. Keep company with me, hang out with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Are you living freely and lightly? I pray that you are. So you can keep trying or you can accept God's way of living the Christian life. So living, I put this on your outline, living a Christian life is based on God's grace, not guilt, because a perfectionist lives in guilt, right? I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I keep failing, I keep failing. Based on God's grace. So, we all fail a lot. So here's one thing I pray that none of us fail at. And this is my last verse. And then we'll be finished. Look after each other so that none of you fails to do what? Receive the grace of God. Initial grace of God at salvation and the grace of God to live the Christian life. I invite you to do that wherever you are this morning. And so, homework or next step is to take these five things. Probably there's one or two of those that maybe you struggle with a little more than the others. And try and implement them or work on implementing them in your life, cooperating with what God says. Let me pray with you then let you go. Father God, we thank you so, so much for your grace. It allows us to enter into your family and then it is the way we live the Christian life. And so much of what we think about Christianity, I think is this uh, just, it's just hard and work hard and struggle and, and no, it doesn't need to be that way. So, Father God, I thank you for that. And we pray for anyone that's not a Jesus follower, that today would be the day that they would take this gift seriously and see their need to receive it and to ask for your forgiveness. And if not that, that they would at least consider it. Yeah, that, that seems to make sense to me. And, and pursue it until you, too, do not fail to receive God's grace. That's my prayer for all of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.